0: We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much will justice be? Love kicking off the new month by doing prayer together. So thanks for joining us. And we've got a special uh, day today with Dr. Vonetta West, uh, who wears does a whole lot of great redemptive work in the world. We're going to hear all about it. She's joining us from Atlanta. Good to see you.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for having
0: me. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do oh, a little this more. Is a pleasure. Welcome. But uh, as folks trickle in, we, we like to kind of just greet the month together. So this month, May, today's International Workers' Day. We'll remember that in just a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we remember all kinds of folks uh, each month. But May in particular, uh, we remember uh, Septima Clark, Columba of Iona, Isidore the Farmer, Julian of Norwich. We got Brother Juniper, who was one of the wild Franciscan uh, brothers, contemporary of St. Francis. Uh, Dirk Willems, one of the great Anabaptist saints. We remember the Catonsville Nine when they burnt the draft cards, uh, the Bergen brothers and all the crew there. Uh, Origen of Alexandria, um, Rahab, we remember this month. And we also remember some significant dates uh, in. History. so we remember uh, this month the Trail of Tears, the Indian Removal Act uh, later this month. Uh, we, we also remember East Timor, one of the youngest countries, got its independence in 2002 on May 20th. So uh, we remember the conscientious objectors of war this month. Uh, and then, um, Jonathan, it is the anniversary of the poor people's campaign the in 1968 uh so we remember that at the end of the month that as we continue right. to honor the work of dr King by by continuing that work and the poor people's campaign poor people's uh movement today and all the other stuff we're doing so this is may y'all and each month we remember uh one of the marks of discipleship this month we We think about hospitality and how we can show hospitality to uh, the the stranger, to our neighbor, to immigrants and refugees, folks on the street. So uh, we've got that reflection. We'll start the prayer this morning. You can find it all uh, online if you're new to Common Prayer, just commonprayer.net if you want to follow along. Or you can just listen, and uh, Jonathan's going to kick us off, and then we'll pause uh, to talk with Dr. Vonetta and introduce her in just a few minutes. So, thanks for joining us, everybody. I
2: also was just looking at our icon. This is the icon for May. Yes. In the uh, in the big book, there's one for every month. Always grateful for the folks who helped us with those.
0: Yeah, they put, those were originals, all of them, right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, it's May first. Let's pray together. On May 1st in 1886, 180,000 U.S. workers went on strike for an eight-hour workday. Rallies continued until May 3rd when a bomb was thrown into a crowd and shots were fired, killing eight policemen and an unknown number of civilians. Ever since this incident, remembered as the Haymarket Massacre, May 1st has been remembered as International Workers' Day. So... We pray with all the saints and all the workers of the world today. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.
0: Amen. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker.
2: Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. Steal away, steal away home. I ain't got long to stay here. Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. Steal away, steal away home.
0: I ain't got long to stay here. Gather us to you, O Lord, and whisper justice in our ears. This is Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar? Why do the peoples mutter empty threats? Why do the kings of the earth rise up in revolt and the princes plot together against the Lord and against his anointed? Submit to the Lord with fear and with trembling bow before him. Lest God be angry and you perish, for God's wrath is quickly kindled. But happy are they all who take refuge in God. Gather us to you, O Lord, and whisper justice in our ears.
2: And a reading this morning from Luke's Gospel. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book, the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abram as our father, for I tell you, out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, what should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. be content with your pay. This is the Word of God for us, God's people. Amen. Thanks be to God.
0: Gather us to you, O Lord, and whisper justice in our ears. We have a quote each day, and today's quote is from Cesar Chavez, activist and labor organizer. He said, when we are really honest with ourselves, we must admit that our lives are all that really belong to us. So it is how we use our lives that determines what kind of people we are. It's my deepest belief that only by giving our lives do we find life. I'm convinced that the truest act of courage, the strongest act of manliness, is to sacrifice ourselves for others in totally nonviolent struggle for justice. To be a man is to suffer for others. God help us to be men. That was Cesar Chavez. So now we get to pause, y'all, um, and uh, let me give a little bit more introduction to our, our friend and our guest, uh, Dr. Vonetta West Is uh, wears a lot of different hats, but we have first uh, connected through her work at the King Center. She helps lead uh, a whole lot of different programs uh, at the King Center alongside uh, Dr. Bernice King. And we've done all kinds of virtual events together. You're now organizing the Nonviolence 365, the training in Dr. King's Principles and Philosophy of Nonviolence. Uh, We were just together in Nashville. We're going to talk about that. But you're you're doing work not just in Atlanta, but really all over the place. And uh, we're going to hear about your work in Liberia. so I'm I'm just excited about all the all that we're getting to do together these days, and always looking for an excuse to hang out with you, Doctor mm-hmm. Bonetta. So thanks for joining us this morning.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be with my brothers, uh, Shane and, and Jonathan, uh, who I was yeah just went down in Nashville. It's good to be together.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: thank you for for that introduction. I do want to say uh, we have a, a there's a great team at the King Center. And I'm a senior trainer, and I developed some of the content. I'm the chief content officer, but there's a great new person who's over directing Nonviolence 365 There's chief programs officer. Uh, we have a, just a phenomenal group of people leading there, of course, under the leadership of Dr. Bernie A. King. We're really able to reach now and be out uh, as, as Dr. King wants us to be, like in Nashville, uh, recently, at a press conference, also around um, a young man who died in Fulton County Jail, and mm. his his body was infested with lice mm. and bug bites. So we there's just a myriad of issues, of course, that gain the King Center's attention. So yeah, that is a a big chunk of my work at this yeah. point in my life. My work with the King Center.
0: We yeah. are. Tell us just a little bit. We I I, I love uh, hearing a little bit of backdrop, um, you know, of, of how you grew into this work and, you know, a little bit of your backstory. Uh, obviously, Red Letter Christians, we're trying to, to change the narrative of what Christians really care about. And, and we, we like to say. Oh, we're- sure aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said and you're a great model of that. But tell us a little bit of your your faith backdrop and your journey into this work for folks that don't know you.
1: Well I am as I always tell people Reverend Jonathan and Shane churched <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm church churched. And when I say that I mean I grew up I grew up in church and church wasn't an option. You know you you had to go. So I grew up in Vacation Bible school, Sunday school, um, you know, youth conferences, weekends at church, two services on some Sundays, uh, Southern Baptist in Alabama, uh, really churched, uh, which was, you know, sometimes we can look back at our past and say we wish that wasn't the case. I believe it gave me a, a, a faith discipline. I don't, I don't believe some of what I learned growing up, some of the traditions and some of the doctrine and some of the ways of treating people. Of course, I left behind, praise the Lord. Uh, But (laughs) I I do believe it provided me with some uh, discipline in my faith and a learning of scripture that I needed. uh, And I need even today, which uh, transitioned me into even in in high school, looking at ways to uh, convey my beliefs. Uh, So one of the, the seminal moments in my life was as a 17-year-old being assigned Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail as a high school student in Tuskegee, Alabama, to as a speech. I had to do a speech on letter from Birmingham jail, hmm. which Ooh. began my intense study of Dr. King's teachings. And uh, as I went to college, I joined this full gospel church, and and that's when my... Beliefs began to shift a bit, which means, you know, fullness of the spirit. Uh, still, some uh, traditional things. And when I say tradition, I mean some traditions are good, some just aren't. Uh, and so, uh, I just began to, to develop a new way of viewing God and viewing Christ, and more of a, especially along with my study of Dr. King, uh, an actualization of belief in Christ, mm. a, a way to express my faith, a following of Christ that's in, in tandem and aligned with justice and mm. caring for my neighbor, which I had not experienced before. It was more of an evangelism. How do we get people saved? And it was concerned about the souls of people, but not really as Dr. King talks about, how we live here on earth, the conditions mm. Mm. of people in our communities and mm. you know, poverty and war and the different things we're seeing that actually let us know we're not as close to God as we should be, and that we can be saved and be on our way, we think, to heaven when we die mm. and be okay with people experiencing hell here on earth. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that just became a real problem for me mm. that I had to learn to, to, to through college and I'm graduating on a national service program in ministry. I was licensed in ministry when I was 21. I wasn't happy with God. At that point, I was enjoying college, and he started calling me into ministry, and I said, no, sir. <laughs> I, for, for a full, like, year, I said, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm not going. Uh, so I was licensed and ordained. Before I graduated from college, I was a minister and then an elder. So a little, you know, then got to the place where my whole, uh, you know, my my faith and my understanding of what church I believe now was meant to be was transformed mm. in good ways. Church to me is what we did in Nashville. Um, is not a gathering in a building. Church is the expression of and extension of the heart of God in the world. Mm. Yeah, um, and that that viewing of it has really just uh, blessed me, even in my pastoring, <clears throat> that I'm not trying to get people to be members. Where I pastor, but I'm trying to say to God, you know, wherever I go, God, whoever you have for me to pastor, I'll do it. Hmm. Uh, at work, at in the, you know, in the streets. So, pastor to me has become really a uh, an anointing and a, a calling that's not relative hmm. to a, a space, right, hmm. but to connection.
2: It was a real gift to be churching with you there in Nashville. Uh, yeah, there for the Moral Monday uh, uh, event that brought uh, uh, faith leaders and lots of, um, you know, people of faith from various sectors and young people and, you know, folks who are concerned about gun violence um, uh, together. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, was just beautiful for me being there was uh, thinking about, you know, how God is moving among students and young people Mm-hmm. Uh, uh the uh the 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 brothers who had been expelled from the legislature were back in for that session. Uh we, we were there on the Monday the following week. And um uh Justin Jones, uh who represents a part of Nashville, um you know, he's somebody I first met when he was a college student at mm-hmm. this university and uh has had that passion that you're talking about, you know, for seeking justice. In public life, and it's it's led him to lots of direct action and uh, activism. He that plaza where we gathered, he occupied that space for a couple months with a lot of people. And they they renamed it Ida B. Wells Plaza, but I know that um, after our our sort of big gathering there, you you stayed on to get together with some students, and so I was uh, curious to hear from yeah. you how your pastoring and ministry went among <laughs> those students and what you were hearing and learning from them.
1: Yeah, the, the King Center, we did a, a student training at um, First Baptist Church Capitol Hill, which was uh, the integral part of the civil rights movement and student mm-hmm. training. So that was kind of a, you know, emerging of uh, eras to be there with the King Center, leading that training. And that's why I was sharing with you all before we got started. I, I, I thought to myself, I don't know if I can do direct action at this moral march. Because I can't get arrested. I got this training to lead. So I was trying to be very strategic <laughs> and somehow wound up at the front anyway. And I said, Oh my goodness. <laughs> if anything happens, I, I know the team will go on. But that that training was um, um We knew you were ready to lead the training inside the jail. If they- <laughs> I would have had to, Reverend Johnson. We would have been in there. <laughs> We would have been in there talking about principle one of nonviolence. I've got oh, right.
0: one Actually, phone call. I need to use that right now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got to get out of here. But uh, that, that really was a learning experience. You know, with Dr. King's philosophy, what we're finding is um, people want to do nonviolent direct action, but don't quite know what it is. So the discovery for the King Center is that we're engaging people who have these thoughts about Dr. King that aren't necessarily true. They have thoughts about what nonviolence is that aren't full, you know, full thoughts, just knowing part, but not fully. And it was for me that discovery, again, that there's so much for us to share about nonviolence, that, that there's a reason why uh, Kenyan nonviolence, as we call it, does not respond with violence, even with cursing and calling people names that we want to, not distract people from the issue. And so in that training that night after Moral Monday, we had some great conversation around what nonviolent direct action looks like, why it's strategic the way it is, and actually about how I saw a lot of it in that Moral Monday, from the reading Mm -hmm. of the covenant, the nonviolent covenant in the church before we marched, to there being marshals assigned to the march, to the way, again, Reverend Barber responded uh, when confronted with different issues inside the Capitol, that to me was just tangible nonviolent direct action where the goal was not to humiliate people, mm. but to get to justice. Because in those moments, as we shared in the training, um, the participants in Moral Monday could have decided, oh, we're going to insult the state troopers who won't let us in this building. Mm. or oh, we're going to get angry and indignant. But that's not what happened. And that's Kenyan nonviolence because it means We kept our focus on the issue and we kept our focus on love. And it was very much Moral Monday was a love-centered approach to a very tragic issue that we have to change urgently. And so we were able to, in that training, which was called the Power of Nonviolent Strategy, that Tuesday evening convey things that I had just seen the day before as examples in talking about nonviolent direct action. So it was a very powerful evening with students and a much more diverse gathering than we anticipated because the church is located in a way that is, is central to HBCUs, but we had a very diverse uh, group of participants that night.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, that you got to practice this stuff. You can't just uh, read about it and think about it and Do a, admire Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement. We got to be out there doing it. And uh, I remember I think it was Mark Labberton uh, did did a sermon on the climbing Mount Everest and he said uh, he said you know there's a lot of people that have watched movies about climbing Mount Everest there's a lot of people that have <laughs> read books about it there's a lot of folks that have even uh, visited the the museum at Mount Everest but you've got to climb Mount Everest you know and, and I think that's mm-hmm. what you know this is this is a moment that we're living in where I've heard you know Reverend Barber and other folks say that. Uh, you know, people say they wish they were alive when Dr. King was around and, and and the elders of the movement always say, whatever you're doing right now is what you would have been doing back then. So you would have been sleeping through the revolution or watching it on <laughs> the TV, listening to it on the radio, whatever. But this is a, a powerful moment to be alive right now, isn't it, Dr. Vanetta? And we, we got work to do.
1: It is. It is. You know, and it was very important just for me, even in reaching out to to Dr. Bernie say King, saying to her. I really want to be there uh, Mm -hmm. for Moral Monday uh, and expressing that from my heart. And I know that was very important to her because what she wants to see with the King Center is similar to what um, her mother envisioned, where it's the epicenter for learning nonviolence, but also we demonstrate to people Mm -hmm. nonviolence. And and the way we start to, to do that even more effectively is by walking out and being with people in these moments that are just so critical, standing with families, Mm -hmm. you know, who've lost loved ones and children to gun violence, standing with people and uh, participating in direct action. Now, it's very important for us that it's nonviolent direct action. You know, we get invited to a lot of things, you know, Kingston is just not gonna be out there um, with groups who we don't know how they're going to respond in certain situations. And that's why we were able to participate in Moral Monday, because we know the core of who, you know, Red Letter Christians is. We know about repairs of the breach and Shane and Reverend Jonathan and Reverend Barbara and Dr. Liz and and the whole group. And we were Mm -hmm. sure we were involved in something where if we were confronted and we had uh, what Dr. King called creative tension, we wouldn't have folks saying, let's be destructive. But how can we keep the focus on this issue and move forward which is what nonviolence does to get people to understand that that the we wouldn't do i wouldn't do personally even the opposite of my core beliefs mm-hmm. even in response to injustice
0: mm-hmm. yeah we're we're going to be doing some other work together for y'all that are listening in that kind of leaning in wanting more dr vanetta does all kinds of trainings and there's a whole team there she was saying that uh We're we're looking to uh, partner with Red Letter Christians and the King Center to just give people access to some of that. You can watch it right now, like uh, these trainings. What are they, like three hours? And you've got longer ones than that that you do, too, right? But a lot of that you can find on the King website,
1: right? Yes. The King Center has an online course that's phenomenal, Nonviolence 365 online. um, And it uh, just takes people through the principles of nonviolence, the steps. The major campaigns that Dr. King led, Birmingham, Selma, Montgomery, Operation Breadbasket is very important because it's an economic withdrawal campaign Mm -hmm. uh, concerning the corporate sector and companies. You know, that's I think that's a critical study. Um, So it goes into a bit of uh, the March on Washington and why that happened, just given the backdrop and how nonviolence works, which is important. And then we offer a series on Be Love. Uh, which is our our movement to get justice, implement the demands of justice with love across the globe. Mm-hmm. And we have oh, some yeah. other series as well uh, that are a part of, uh, of the King Center and the work that I do there.
0: Yeah, and I got to be down there a few, uh, a couple months ago. And if y'all go to Atlanta, too, you got to see this beautiful uh visionary space that uh miss coretta scott king kind of created Mm -hmm. and dr bernice has kind of just brought this new life to right and there's rooms where where you can study and learn and see all of it there's uh all it's just so powerful so if y'all are in atlanta make sure you go by there and see uh that space and the historic church there uh and uh everything. So yeah, so good.
1: Chang, there's a yeah. new monument to Coretta Scott King that we just dedicated at the King Center. Uh, the King Center dedicated um last week on Mrs. King's 96th birthday. What would have been her 96th birthday? It is glorious. So again, it is a space for reflection, for learning, for training and uh, under Dr. Bernice A. King's leadership, I've just seen, as, especially in the last 10 years, the King Center really uh, hmm. flourish and become yet again a, a space where people not only can get training on nonviolence, but also just the experience of being on the grounds, uh, this resurgence of I believe the, the uh, essence of what Mrs. Coretta Scott King wanted to have happen with the King Center is just very powerful. This peace and meditation garden now that we have where you walk through this gate and you go to this monument where you can stand and speak your own words of nonviolence and freedom at these microphones within this, this monument. So I, I think uh, everyone should experience a visit to the King Center. That's right. It's, it's so beautiful. good.
0: We
2: were celebrating. celebrate. It's, it's beautiful right, to see, and it 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 uh, tickles me because you know one of my teachers was uh, Dr. Vincent Harding, who oh. uh, who worked with Miss um, King in the very beginning when they had that vision. Right in the aftermath of her, her husband and his dear friends, you know, assassination, they responded by saying, "We're going to invest in building an institution that's committed." To, uh, to to introducing mm. this vision to more and more people so it's a beautiful thing mm. to see y'all doing that even today in the midst of everything that's going on and I wondered I wanted to ask you this is <laughs> a little selfish but um we you know we have a like most states here in North Carolina we have a uh, Martin Luther King Commission and the uh, the commission is having a tonight um, a 60th anniversary celebration of the letter. From a Birmingham jail, so I'm I'm joining the panel that's talking about that. And since you mentioned that that was so instrumental to your introduction, <laughs> Dr. King, I, I wondered what what insight you would draw from, uh, from that letter for this moment that we're in right now.
0: This is panel prep. That's right. Yeah, you're doing his homework. <laughs> <laughs> what
2: should, I, what should I emphasize tonight God. for the people of North Carolina? He's my
1: brothers, we on the prayer call when we're talking about, can you help me with the panel? No, no, no. I'd be (laughs) I'd be glad to. It's one of my favorite things to talk about, Reverend Johnson, just because I believe that letter from Birmingham Jail. Not only is it like a a literary masterpiece, and I was an English major, uh, creative writing minor, so that that for me is a key part of it. But also the way Dr. King wrote it, that. In response to eight clergy who were criticizing his nonviolent work in Birmingham, he chose to while in jail. And he he knew he was going to jail because he too mm. cho- he chose to disobey what he would call an unjust injunction. Mm. And he knew he was going to jail Good Friday, arrested on Good Friday, and that a preach that always, <laughs> and in jail. Um, <laughs> he wrote this letter where He responds to what those eight clergy wrote to him in that public statement, line by line. And he just starts to, I believe, using the principles of nonviolence, outline uh, why direct action, what he felt the church must do in response to injustice. He talked about the creative use of time. He covered just and unjust laws. And so he just, I just thought to myself, what would I have done if I was in jail? And Dr. King's in there writing (laughs) what would become one of the seminal works, I believe, in in American literature, just Mm. laying out with the spirit of nonviolence. He never attacks Mm. other people. He never says, you all are crazy for putting me in here. Mm. He actually, in explaining unjust and just laws, articulates that that's one of the consequences of nonviolent direct action. There are so many key things in there that I believe we need to study Mm -hmm. that sometimes we just pull out the little pieces that fit our agenda for the moment. But comprehensively, I believe that the letter from Birmingham jail is a way to respond Mm -hmm. when people critique our righteous work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is an example of when people who we think should be on our side because we should believe the same thing. We're all in the faith now. We're all supposed to be reading the same red letters. But somehow, some people have blocked out the red letters (laughs) and the things that Jesus did. And so Dr. King is responding to a clergy. And I always think, you know, what what it must have been like to have to respond for people who, based on title of religion, should believe the same thing that we believe about justice about love, about showing up for humanity, and did not. Told him to wait. Mm. As people Mm. are suffering, Mm. something that we think about the heart of Christ, if he would come to us now in the midst of what we're facing in our nation and world and say, y'all need to wait for justice. Mm. It's Mm. not the heart of God. Mm. But his response was, let me lay out for them, line by line, each thing they said in their statement he responds to, and again, Mm -hmm. I believe it's a a way, when you're doing the good work and people stand and say, you know, we don't agree with what you're doing, how do we respond? And he didn't do it with wrath or bitterness. He didn't do it with a a kind of negative aggression. Mm -hmm. He did it in a way that for for generations to come, we can look and say, wow, this is powerful teaching. And he Mm -hmm. talked about things that are, are illegal not necessarily being right. One of the yeah. things you mentioned is that, you know, the things that Hitler did in Germany, they were legal. Mm. <laughs> this kind of notion of law and order, uh, that if you're following the law, you're doing what's right, is, is not a Christian ethic.
0: Mm. <laughs> mm. Well. <laughs> you're hearing it this morning. You thought you were coming to prayer, but you're coming to church. Come on. Yeah. That's <laughs> so good, Dr. Von. Right. Uh well, I was I was thinking, uh, you know, if, if folks haven't revisited that letter, you um you can hear Dr. King uh read it. Um you can also yes. a few years ago is around the 50th anniversary. This is the 60th anniversary of the letter uh from Birmingham Jail, but we we read it together partly just to reimmerse ourselves in it. So we each took, you know, a couple of paragraphs at our annual retreat and um read it together. So we've got that up on all of our stuff. But y'all should check that out. Uh if you're looking for an excuse, make that a part of the annual liturgy here in the month of May to read that letter. Mm-hmm. Uh well, I, I wanted uh, to branch out a little bit. I know that Dr. King and the work you're doing down there uh, to to continue the legacy and work of Miss Coretta Scott King and Dr. King is a passion of yours. But you're also doing some other really beautiful work. And um, I saw that you were in Liberia, um, and you've got this whole other hat that is, uh, you know, beyond the, the the work just here in in our country. So tell us a little bit about. Uh, our neighbor's house and the work that you were doing over there and how people can support it. Cause I know you're raising, uh, you're doing some important work that people might want to be a part of. So yeah, get tell us about that work.
1: Well, I, I launched, uh, I think divinely our neighbor's house in 2012. And the fun thing about me is I don't remember anniversaries. I have these friends, they celebrate church anniversaries. And I was like, I don't even remember the day the church was founded. I don't even know what day did I become pastor? I wouldn't be able to do like a pastor anniversary or something like that. I know it was like a <laughs> 2012 um, and I had left this, uh, um, I left the church, you know, and if that's like you, you all are, you know, you've ever experienced that sometimes leaving a church is very traumatic. Uh, you know, you, it means you leave friends, you leave people who uh, you thought, you would be aligned with for the rest of your life. And you discover that your affiliation was really only church. And that's a painful place. And so I, I was seeking God about what to do next. And not only did he give me a next, but also a title in our neighbor's house. You know, rooted in you know, Jesus saying the two greatest commandments upon which hinge the law and the prophets is to love your neighbor. I paraphrase it is to, to love God but everything you have and to love your neighbor as your life depends on them. <laughs> uh, because it does. Our lives depend on how we love our neighbors. Mm. And um, just developed this vision. And part of it was global work. And our mantra is the globe is our neighborhood, you are my neighbor. Mm. And uh, part of that for me since 2008 has been work in Liberia. I lived there from 2008 to 2010 helped start a computer and professionalism school with an organization called Teachers to the Nations, uh, led by a woman who's been a mentor and friend to me, uh, Dr. Patricia Riley for almost 20 years, which mm-hmm. is a long time to be walking together today. That's, uh, <laughs> so I, we, we started this school and then Ebola came and we had to decide whether or not to take all the money we had and pay the staff for a number of, of months or keep the school going. Uh, and of course we decided uh, that we would uh, ensure that people could eat. Hmm. So what, what developed though, is a profound opportunity to build a campus. So a part of that campus is the our neighbor's house educational center. Now, in a moment where we were talking, Dr. Riley and I, about what I could do to help with the campus, I don't know what came over me, but I said, our neighbor's house can build a school. And now I'm looking back, I'm like, what? <laughs> Sometimes I think, what was I thinking? Because the school is big, you know, it's it's two floors, it's you know, 30 plus rooms, it's an auditorium, it's um you know, it was five hundred thousand dollars worth of work. And I'm pastoring this newly launched, you know, fairly new gathering of people that's very non-traditional. Uh, very much not about you know membership and not trying to make people tithe and all those types of things about the spirit of giving but God is faithful you know we mm-hmm. have uh, built up until the the first floor superstructure going up to the windows and we'll finish the the superstructure up to the ceiling in the next few months and it's just been a, a gradual work that's blessing the people it will have a vocational component and, and just to, to teach computer classes, business classes, tailoring, auto mechanic classes, barbering classes, mm. uh, to a community of people that God loves dearly. Mm. And what I call it is an opportunity, because sometimes when we think of, of working in other nations that we place labels on, we, we talk about it as though the poor little people need us. And I need the Liberian people. What, what mm. if they needed me? I needed mm. them. Uh, Mm -hmm. in my love walking and and in my understanding of God. And it's an opportunity for me and for our neighbor's house to demonstrate the love of God and to be conduits for his love for a nation uh, that has been abused and misused through imperialism and white supremacy and colonialism. And uh, that's a a just work. Mm -hmm. And that's not about helping people and taking pity on people. Mm -hmm. Um, because they just need us so much, but we need justice. We need to get in there and and restore and be sure that the harm that these hateful ideologies and poverty have done uh, to people around the world that we corrected, that's Mm -hmm. the church's work. And that's not about taking salvation. That's about taking some resources and taking some schools and uh, taking some justice to nations and to communities starting right here, actually. I always tell people there's no nation I know of that needs Jesus authentically more than the United States of
0: America. <laughs> Ooh, <that's right.
1: laughs> no think, man-
0: uh, everybody's very aware of like uh, how bad missions has happened. You know, the the mm-hmm. mission that, that's been done in a, you know, uh, colonizing patriarchal way, you know, that, that dehumanizes folks and even the way that we, um, you know the the colonization of the First Nations, and I mean, that was all done with the cross and the flag together, you know and um but to to I think for a lot of people, what it does is you kind of cut off that part of our interconnectedness, right? that global community where it's almost like we we don't want to do the damage, so there's no missional part beyond you know what we see right in front of our eyes. So I think it's beautiful that you're you're offering. Kind of an invitation to rethink missions and to rethink like what it looks like to be connected to folks in Liberia and are you, wh- what else you want to say about that because I know that's a real passion of yours like how how we can rethink how we thought traditionally about missions or how people can learn more of what you're learning
1: on that. It's it's really something, uh, Brother Shane, Reverend Jonathan, to be in an African nation. And to look up, be in church and look up and see this blonde haired blue-eyed Jesus mm. uh, in churches in Liberia, in mm. Nigeria, in all the African nations I've been to. And just to think, wow, uh, this wasn't, we didn't try to take or, or bring a love ethic to mm. these two nations. They already had a love ethic. Mm. Uh, what we bought is this notion that we're, we're absolutely right and you're absolutely wrong. And when I say we, I mean the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and just tried to change people's culture and who they were, mm-hmm. brought in the notion, like what happened with the violence against indigenous people here and in other on other lands, that you're uncivilized. Mm-hmm. And we have a religion that can civilize you, void of Christ, void of the heart of Christ. Uh, it really is something, it will take like, I think, uh, three or four days to unpack, so I don't want to get yeah, into we all. We that.
0: don't we're gonna read your book on that. We're gonna read your book on yeah, that. Yeah, I'm gonna
1: have to write a book <laughs> on it because I really think it's. Um, it really has been. I, I I couldn't articulate in the in this time the hurt and and damage mm. that is caused to the continent of Africa mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. descendants of of African people across the globe. Still, uh, the association of African culture with. Uh, being demonic and things of that nature. It's really, it really has been harmful. For me today, and I'll say this to summarize, one of the effects has been the idea um, that African faith, African religions have been problematic. To hear people who say things like plead the blood and who talk about conjuring up the the Holy Spirit, this whole, uh, I believe, uh, overwrought notion, uh, with our our uh, concepts in church that are, are very much to me witchcraft. Mm-hmm. To hear people who practice those rituals talk about African religion and African faith, I think it's a part of of white supremacist ideology. Something we have to deal with mm-hmm. is the the view of the African and the Black person around around the globe, mm-hmm. and it's it's very much mm-hmm. connected to how we talk about missions. It's this, we, and it's what, what happened in Canada too with indigenous children who were placed in these residential homes. And, and now we're finding graveyards of children who were taken from their families so that they could be civilized. Mm. Uh, and now they, they're dead, killed mm. in, in savage ways because of this notion that we know what's right yeah. for other mm-hmm. groups of people. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a whole series, of, and a class, and a book. Mm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, I I'll mention just one resource because it was it was so helpful to to me to learn from a a brother named Emmanuel Katangale. Uh, uh I worked with him on a book called Mirror to the Church.
0: Yeah,
2: and uh, in that uh, in writing that he he taught me about you know he is the son of Tutsi and uh, Hutu. Mm. Huts- Rwanda. Yeah. Who grew up in Uganda, but his parents were from Rwanda and from for these two groups. And and that, you know, white Jesus you were talking about that's up, up there on the, the altar in so many churches, the Belgian missionaries brought that to Rwanda and told the people that the Tutsis looked more like white Jesus than the Hutus. Yeah. So yeah. the Tutsis got elevated, the Hutus got even though there were more Hutus. So that this this actually set up the context for the violence that erupted there. In uh, in the genocide, and uh, I mean, I just think the way that the church was so complicit in that is important for us to reflect on because you're right. So much of it is a projection of the white supremacy that we had developed here onto our sisters and brothers there in the name of Jesus.
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of healing work to do. I'm telling
1: y'all, it's like a we should work on a joint book. Go and put (laughs) it is the. It, when you look at it, um, and, and when people talk now about sending money to mm-hmm. nations, I said, "Money, we got to we got to do some hard work and uh, mm-hmm. look at it. it's hard. It's hard to think about reparations, though. Has mm-hmm. become such a, a dirty word that when I hear it, I just think repairing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That if, if financial harm has been caused, economic harm, spiritual harm, mental harm then why wouldn't the church Mm. be at the forefront of repairing harm Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. and at the forefront of reparations? The Mm. church. So many Mm -hmm. things that we we shun as the church, and I'm like, no, Jesus would have been on the front line with that one. (laughs) Mm. Repairing damage. Mm. That's justice. Mm. Dr. King said justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love.
0: But the church should
1: be leading that.
2: <laughs> Seems like we ought to be repairs of the breach.
1: We ought to be repairs. Absolutely.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs> well,
2: it's such a gift to be with you. Yes, thank Great you for this time this, this morning, and for your spirit and your yeah. commitment to the beloved community.
1: Mm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you yes. for having. We're gonna we're gonna see
0: more of you too, but uh, this has been a real gift. Thank y'all uh, for the hour, and thank you everybody for joining us and listen. We'll close out now, but you can uh, how can folks find out more? I mean, Doctor Vanetta, you're pretty active on the socials. You, uh, you
1: tell people how <laughs> to how to active. follow
0: you and track uh, what you're doing. Sure, and
1: absolutely. Uh, one of the main ways you connect to all of my social media platforms is my website. Uh, com V-O-N-N-E-T-T-A, L-West.com. You can connect to all of my platforms there. I am active. I just try to have fun on social media, talk about justice, <laughs> talk about the things uh, that we need to change, talk about a little Golden Girls and uh, <laughs> some funny stuff, show the joy of God and, and following Christ, and also remind us that we can live higher that we're living yes. far below our capacity. So I do want to engage you. I invite you to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter so that we can uh, keep these great conversations going. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Thank
0: you. Perfect. Yeah.
1: All right.
2: Let me John. lift up this closing yeah. prayer. God, help us to imitate you as we feed those who hunger for bread, for justice, for companionship, for forgiveness, forgiveness, For alternate ways of living in this world Mm. give us your words equip our hands and guide our feet sustain us lord
0: with your healing love amen amen we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the red letter christians podcast too often christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.